And now I'd like to introduce our speaker for the day, my dad, Pastor Dan Mickelson. Thank you. Good to see you all. Thank you, Charity. Charity's actually going to help me with this, uh, this talk today. She's going to, going to, we're going to team do, uh, teach this. I'm going to take 20 minutes and she's going to take 10, but uh, it's going to be good. She's going to be uh, joining us through a video um, presentation she's, she prepared some time ago. Well, I'll start with uh, something that made me chuckle. A preacher, a preacher trained his horse to go where he's, to go when he said, praise the Lord, and to stop when he said, amen. The preacher mounted the horse and said, praise the Lord, went for a ride. When he wanted to stop for lunch, he said, amen. He took off again, and he said, praise the Lord. The horse started going toward the edge of a cliff. The preacher got excited and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Then he remembered and said, amen. And the horse stopped on the edge of the cliff. The preacher was so relieved and grateful that he looked up to heaven and he said, praise the Lord. And then he went to heaven. (laughs) This morning I have the privilege of preaching the first of an eight-part series. Our preaching team is going to be preaching about guidance. Another look at guidance, a fresh look at God's guidance. We all deeply care about guidance. Every single one of us in this room care about our life journey. We care about God's will. We care about fulfilling the destiny God has for us. We care about not missing out on God's best for us, for married, our marriage, our family, children, grandchildren. We care about, about a spirit of excellence for our life. We want to do well. We want to do well. Every single one of us in this room. And that's why we're going to focus on keys for God's guidance. I think it's going to be very helpful and, and a true blessing to all of us. This talk, this morning, I'm going to start with a, a subject that I've never preached on, but it's keys to guidance from Jesus, age 12. You know, Jesus exemplified what it means to seek God's guidance as a child, as a preteen. And he calls us to childlike faith. He calls us to have the humility and the faith of a little child. And he exemplified that in his connection with God his Father and in getting guidance from God his Father, even at the age of a middle schooler. Someone said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And uh, yeah, Jesus. And I've heard people say, can any come, anything good come from a preteen? <laughs> Amen. Lots of good can come from t- preteens. They are wonderful, wonderful saints that are filled with lessons that we can learn from. Saints of any age can learn from. I hope that you recognize and honor that and respect that. From teens and preteens, they have a, a life and a vitality that we can gain from, even though for, for some of us, they have a vocabulary and a uh, sort of a journey that's a little bit different than maybe some of us have. Amen? Okay. 
Well, I want to start, I have a couple talking points from Luke chapter 2. We, I'm really hooking back into a couple talks I did earlier on this on another subject, but um, I'm just so intrigued by Jesus' interaction with his mom and dad when they went to Passover and he, uh, he felt God was leading him to go to the temple and, and spend some time there. His mom and dad didn't know where he was. They went anxiously looking for him, finally found him after three days. And uh, the interaction they had, like, why didn't you, why did you do this to us? And he said, didn't you know it about my father's business? And that whole interaction, you remember it. Talking point one, one key to God's guidance is to listen carefully to the desires of your own godly heart. The book of Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. But that's only true if you're not following Jesus, if you don't have a brand new heart because of Jesus, if you're not regenerated by the Holy Spirit, if your spirit has not been spoken to, Lazarus come forth, and the miracle of the rebirth or being born from above, born of God, born again, hasn't happened to you. But if you have experienced the miracle of the new birth, regeneration in your spirit, then you have a new heart. The motives of Jesus are, are running in your life. The, the uh, motivations of Jesus. The, the, you, you have a heart that uh, longs for the presence of God and longs for the will of God, as I was mentioning a bit earlier. But So when we're talking about one key to God's guidance is to listen carefully to the desires of your own godly heart. I want to underscore for a moment first the two-word phrase, from a godly heart. Notice in Luke 2, verse 40, and the child grew, child Jesus grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus Christ, as a preteen, had a godly heart. He was strong in spirit. And you know that example invites us to be strong in the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite um, lines, philosophical lines that propels me through life is this, this one that I've shared with you before, sow to the spirit and forgive the rest. You know, the, the call of God for us to sow to the spirit, if we will do that, the promise in Galatians says, whoever sows to the spirit reaps eternal life. And that doesn't just mean blessings in the, in the eternal realm Later, that means blessings coming our way right now. Every time we sow to the Spirit, God waters it and brings forth a great harvest for us in the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. If you want to have just one line that can keep you going through your whole life, sow to the Spirit and forgive the rest. Would you agree with me that there's lots to forgive out there? Lots to forgive in family relationships, Lots to forgive in marriage relationships. Lots to forgive with former marriage relationships. Lots to forgive at work or at school. Lots to forgive of yourself. Forgiveness is releasing someone from your personal judgment. And, there's, and if we have this uh, basic philosophy of living, sowing to the things of the Spirit, we will reap from God in the moment and in our near future, as well as in forever, 
a harvest of, e of life that can be described as eternal, not just in terms of duration and everlasting time-wise, but in terms of depth of heavenly quality. Isn't it exciting that we can have a depth of heavenly quality life simply by intention intentionality and recognize the same Holy Spirit that is before the throne of God and fills the whole universe and who the universe itself is in also continually is flooding you and the only thing stopping the Holy Spirit from flooding into you in any given moment of your personal journey is not having childlike faith to receive because it's totally grace-based. It's not a merit-earned uh, sort of a situation. Oh, I did really good, so God poured the Holy Spirit out. I mean, that's not how it works. God only works by grace. He only, he only looks in his own heart, sees grace, and dumps the Spirit on you. And it's an ongoing river. Out of your innermost being will flood rivers of living water. It will be a well within you that will, that will, an artesian well that continually flows out of you. And it's a matter of intentionality on our parts to sow to the things of the Spirit. That's what Jesus did, even as a preteen. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. He was filled with wisdom. You know, wisdom is totally totally underrated in church life. We're very, very strong in the prophetic ministry at New Song Church and other charismatic churches, of course. That's so important. But you know, there's a, a, the wisdom of God get, that he gives us. And the Holy Bible says that if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask. And let him ask in faith. And, the God, and God says, if you ask in faith, he'll give you wisdom. Wisdom that is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and easily entreated. Hallelujah. And do you know that the tree of life in the Bible, it's a wonderful picture of, of the quality of the heaven realm. The tree of life was present where? First in the Garden of Eden, right? The tree of life was there. It doesn't say a lot about it, but we know it was good, amazingly good. And we know where else does the tree of life appear? In the end, when we all go to be with Jesus, in the midst of the story, of talking about the river in the midst, in the glory realm in heaven, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was the tree of life. So we know that there's a, that's a picture of life flowing from the presence of God to us into eternity. But do you know where else the tree of life is mentioned? Several times in the book of Proverbs, it's mentioned with reference to God's wisdom that when we derive from God's wisdom, when we seek the word of God for his wisdom, when we ask God for the wisdom for every decision that we face that's a challenge to us in our life, the wisdom that's first pure, peaceable, gentle, easily entreated, that wisdom, when we embrace it, receive it, own it in our hearts, and act on it, being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, we act on it. We are actually drawing from the tree of life that has a time-transcendent dimension in the Garden of Eden, in our eternal future, and in our very, very present moment in our journey with God in wisdom. The tree of life is there to derive eternal pleasures and graces and favor from. Do you want to sign up for that? I know I do. Amen. A child grew strong, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace and favor of God was upon him. Do you know the favor of God is on you? Do you realize that grace means just simply undeserved favor? 
If you feel like you do not deserve grace, then you qualify for grace. And that's the only thing that will qualify you for grace. If you're depending on something cool and good that you've done to get grace, then I'm sorry you're going to miss it because God only gives favor to us based on our unqualified nature, not because we do something to earn it. So if you feel unworthy, hallelujah, you're a target (laughs) for his favor. Praise God. Jesus Christ um, had this strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. Grace of God was on him. I love him as a picture of what life is as a middle schooler. And he has things to say to us about God's guidance. But the very first thing is that when we're seeking God's guidance, we need to be asking the right questions. A lot of times Christians will focus on what city should I live in? What job shall I take? Who should I marry or should I get married? Uh, what ministry should I be involved in? What color of socks shall I wear this morning? Sometimes we get real specific about, so God, tell me what to wear. I mean, you know, but you know, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but I'm saying that there's, a, there's another question that's way more important. And that question is, am I living a God-filled life? Am I aligning myself with his purposes in my inner world? How many of us, I think all of us, are aware of Christian leaders who have been very, very successful in terms of numbers, in terms of miracles, in terms of, in terms of, of, of success, outwardly, but inwardly, they were a little bit like the trees along Ross Court where we lived. One of the reasons we live, we moved to Ross Court in West Medford is we loved the tree-lined, um, our street, but in the 17 years we've lived there, about one-third of the trees have been cut down. You know why? Because they look good on the outside, but they're rotten on the inside, and they had to be taken down. And, and one of the things God is calling us to when we're talking about seeking his guidance is to make sure we're asking for his guidance first and foremost about the things of our inner life, our inner world, the nuances of our relationship with Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, the the holiness that comes from responding to the the nudge of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That inner life is way, way more important, foundational. Jesus says like building a house on a rock instead of on the sand when we have, when that is first and foremost our biggest priority before we start seeking God for the other things. Those other things will come, they will come way more easily if we focus first and foremost on that, on that inner life. Let's... Uh, I have a quote from Jerry Cook along these lines I'd like to read to you. One of the major problems Christians have in seeking God's guidance is that we often persist in asking the wrong question. The most crucial question is whether or not we are God's person through and through. That is what we are targeting first and foremost in terms of guidance. So, Luke 2, chap, uh, Luke 2 chap, uh, verse 40. Luke 2. Verse 40, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him, Jesus. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast, 
And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. So Jesus' mother and his stepdad did the whole community Passover thing. And then they left, went home to Nazareth, about 70-mile journey. And they just thought that Jesus was, you know, amongst his friends going along on the trip. But the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. I'm going to submit to you his motive for lingering behind. The reason Jesus, I think Jesus wanted to linger behind in Jerusalem, the reason he lingered behind was singular. He wanted to. There was a desire in his heart to do it. Was it God's will that he lingered behind? Yes. I submit to you that a lesson we can learn about guidance is that if you're living in a godly way, if you're living with, in a connection with Jesus, in a clear way, you're doing your best to align yourself with the word of God, that if you do that, you'll find yourself having desires that are, are born of God. What's the uh, Proverbs, sorry, Psalm says, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and what? He will give you the desires of your heart. I submit to you that doesn't mean that if you delight yourself in the Lord, you'll get every carnal desire that you've ever wanted. I submit to you that if you delight yourself in the Lord, as Jesus did, he's been talking about, putting first things first, you delight yourself in the Lord, that you will find God planting desires in your heart that are genuine desires for you, things you long for, things you want, things you want to see, things, a person you want to be, gifts you want to celebrate. And mind you, I'm not talking about achieving a certain level of success in any certain area. I think that's a distraction. I think it's way more important to celebrate and give yourself in joy to desires that you have that are born of God than it is to think in terms of achieving a certain level of whatever. And if we delight ourselves in the Lord, God will start putting desires in our hearts that are consistent with and commensurate to the desires that he has in his heart for our life journey and the destiny for our lives. And that destiny starts right now, no matter how old you are or how young you are. The best years are ahead, no matter how old you are or how young you are, because you are delighting yourself in the Lord, and he is starting to put desires and, and in your heart, and he's nurturing and, and stirring those desires up and blessing you with them. And I, I submit to you that, for instance, Brenda and I, we celebrated our 47th wedding anniversary this, this week. And... Um, and, you know, we uh, celebrated all week. We just found all kinds of, we went to dinner, and we went, took, took her on a 24-hour date. And uh, she wrote me a couple of nice cards. I think I'm going to keep them until Jesus comes. You know. <laughs> but uh, we had a chance to talk. We talked about, 
you know, the longer you've been married and had a positive marriage, the, the more treasures you have to savor and to talk about and celebrate, think about over the years, you know. And we were on this drive and we were talking about stuff. And, but you know, it was, it, it's just clear more and more that we married the right person. But I want to tell you why we got married. The reason why we got married was because God, because God wanted us to. Amen? Amen? Yeah. But the way he made us get married wasn't because he shouted at us out of the sky or had someone prophesy over us that we're supposed to get married. He just put a want-to in our hearts. There was no way I wasn't going to marry her. No way. There's three qualifications in the Bible, three steps, if you, if you want to be married, that have to be met. And if you meet these three things, then the Bible says, God's word says, if you do these things, you can get married. One of them, well, let me just read the, let me just refer to the verse, uh, First Corinthians 7, verse 39, um, reads with regard to a widow. If, if she wants to get married, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Okay, from that verse, three things. You have to want to marry the person. Secondly, of the three, they have to want to marry you. That eliminates a lot of the people that are potential. (laughs) And it has to be in the Lord. They have to be full-on Jesus people. Full-on Jesus people. You see, God stirs and moves us primarily in terms of guidance by our desires. And I like to sort of demystify guidance in a lot of areas of our life. I want to, I want to tell you that my understanding of the Holy Bible is that guidance is largely designed by God to assume, listen to me and look at me, assume a green light if you want to do something from a godly motivation and angle. Assume a green light and trust that God will turn it red if he needs to. Assume a green light. We assumed that it was okay for us to move to Medford, very practical reasons. Did Fuller Church Growth, uh, not Church Growth, but a church planting seminar, uh, audio, uh, Fuller Seminary uh, audio course. Medford fit what they said was how to target a city that needed a new church. Medford fit for us. There were other signs that happened. Some guy testified in, our, in a Sunday night service how he had just moved from Medford and loved our church up in Astoria and said, I sure wish Medford had a church like this. I'm thinking, they're gonna. <laughs> you know. My dad, the most conservative person in the, on the planet, never wanting to risk anything, assured me he felt like it was God's will that we quit a good-paying pastor job and cold turkey moved to a place where I had no guarantee of income to support my 
six-person family and just get out of the boat and walk on water. My dad, that was a sign and a wonder in and of itself. And it's th- things like that. The thing, but, but there were also re- even more practical reasons. Like Brenda was very, very tired of the rain. I, I, was, I wasn't tired of the rain. I, I didn't mind the rain. But I wanted to have her be happy. And Medford has one-fourth the rain as Astoria. So we assumed a green light and expecting that God, and we, and we had an opportunity. We, we set our directions this way. We started coming this direction. And then I got a letter from a pastor in Portland saying, hey, I've been praying, and I'm retiring, and I want to turn our church over to you in Portland. And I thought to myself, Portland, Medford, Portland, Medford, Portland, Medford, Portland, Yes, Medford. Bring it on, Lord. (laughs) I didn't know you'd be here, but that's icing on the cake, man. You guys are awesome. Oh, my. Assume a green light. Another key to God's guidance is to right in the face of any difficulty, be a courageous doer of the word. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. This person will be blessed in what he does. We'll be blessed if we're doers of the word. Jesus was a doer of the word in the face of a natural anxiety. He's 12 years old. He loves his mom. He loves his stepdad. He knows, absolutely knows, that as he follows the desire of his heart and God is not putting up a, 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 a stop to it, not telling him, no, don't do this. He goes after it, visits with the, the teachers of the law. He knows it's going to produce anxiety in mom and his stepdad, Joseph. He knows it. But in the face of that, that anxiety, he, it's clear to him that he needs to do this. It's the right thing to do. And it's the right thing to do for him and it's the right thing to do for Joseph and Mary too. Because Joseph and Mary had been told by an angel he's going to be the savior of the world. He's born of the Holy Spirit. They had heard the shepherd's testimony about the angels. He's the savior of the world. He's, going to, he's, he's God the son. They, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt Was it going to be possible? Was it going to be possible in any stretch of the imagination that God the Son was going to be lost? Answer, no. Jesus expected them to go by the word of God instead of the pressure and stresses of the anxiety of the people around them that said, your 12-year-old is lost? Your 12-year-old is lost? Do you know What's going on in Jerusalem? How difficult and difficult, tough place that is? You know, they, they bought into that. And Jesus was actually speaking to them as a 12-year-old and when he said, did you not know I'd be about my, I should be about my father's business? My friends, this is the application. There will always be varying degrees 
of anxiety, stress, fear, upsetness, trouble, potential trouble in your personal journey. I'm not going to take time to illustrate this except for when uh, eight minutes of a talk charity is going to give. This will be our final illustration of it. But I want to tell you, it is of crucial, vital importance to you and to me that as we are praying that God will give deliverance and help from that, any given situation that's tough, that we not let that situation wedge its way in between us and the word of the Lord. We must fight the good fight of faith. We must get militant. My friend Mark, I'll never forget it, in junior, junior high school, might have been ninth grade, I was trying to close a gate at his house, and he said, he's a big football player, and I was a wimpy third-string quarterback. And he said, Dan, sometimes you've got to do things like you mean it. And he shut the gate. And I've often thought about that. Sometimes you just got to do things like you mean it. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. There is, there is this about this dynamic where we've got to do it like we mean it. We've got to insist on it. We've got to require it. Require it. We've got to know all the authority of heaven is behind it. We're going to have to, we need to insist, not whine and go into self-pity that this thing is between us and our ability to hear from God. Have you discovered it's easier to hear God's voice when things are going well? Answer, yes. When things are tough, sometimes we just hear these other anxious voices and it's tough to hear the whisper of God. But I'm telling you, we've got to move that thing behind us so that we can get into his presence and let it from behind us, push us even closer to his presence and his voice. I'm hoping this is clear because I'm not going to say it again. I'm running out of time. I want you to get it. Live this way. Do not let the voice of anxiety, fear, upsetness, stress, bitterness wedge its way in between you and the word of the Lord. We've got to get it behind. We've got to forgive. So do the spirit and forgive the rest. And we've got to be able to hear God's voice and go after it with an intentionality that is entirely and fully, entirely and fully militant. In faith, get after it. Fight for it. And don't quit fighting for it. Winston Churchill, never, 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 never give up. We're going to win. We insist on it. We require it. And all the authority of heaven is behind us in it. The only illustration I'm going to share, I was going to, was going to share about um, uh, William Carey. And this is what I was going to say if I was going to say it. <laughs> Every pressure against him, no one would listen to him say, we've got to take the gospel to the nations. All the churches of all the denominations were saying, except the Moravians, all the churches of all the denominations were saying that the spread of the gospel was word in the Bible is just for the disciples. William Carey says, no, and the pressure was there. The upsetness was there. No one was listening to him, but he put that behind him. He kept the voice of God go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Right in front of him, he got a hold of it. He even wrote a book about it that he, didn't, he couldn't afford to publish, 
Someone finally came to him, and as he was trying to share this with everybody he could talk to about it, the guy said, this needs to be in a book. And he said, I've written a book. And the guy said, I'm going to finance it for you. Finance the book. It went viral. And he became the father of modern missions. He triggered thousands and thousands of missionaries going worldwide in the early 1800s. Why? Because he moved that stress, that difficulty behind him, and he kept the pure word of vo the voice of the scripture and the word of God in front of him. You be that way. Um, Terry, I just lost her name, Tubman. Harriet Tubman in the 1800s has a similar story. Uh, she felt like God was calling her as a, as a slave woman to escape and to be like Moses, delivering his people out of Egypt to freedom. This, what we're about to watch, this Word of God. She put the problems behind her, kept the Word of God in front of her all the time with great tenacity, great intentionality, great fervor, great insistence. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violence ta violent taken by force. I will have this, she said. And she did it her whole life. And the result was a remarkable expression of partnering with God to bring deliverance. I want to take... Eight minutes to watch it right now. Let's let Charity talk. I'm Charity Mainwaring, and this is Strong Stories, where we tell the tales of inspiring and gritty women from history who changed the world. Which women from history do you most admire? Let me know in the comments right now. I'd love to hear from you. Today, we're going to talk about a woman you've likely heard of as a rescuer of slaves with the Underground Railroad. But did you know that she was also a high-level spy, a military scout, and a clever trickster? Meet Harriet. Here's her story. At three in the morning on June 2nd, 1863, along the Cumbie River in rural South Carolina, the stillness of the summer night was broken by the sudden arrival of two armored gunboats. Confederate troops stationed to protect this crucial breadbasket were on the lookout, as rumors had been flying around for days of an imminent raid. As the defenders rode off to sound the alarm, they observed a strange sight. The tall company of invaders in Union Blue gathered on the riverbank, and with them, a slight figure in a long green dress. Harriet Tubman had scouted the area for days and knew exactly where to lead the men. The raid was a smashing success. By the time it was over, 756 slaves were freed. Eight plantation mansions were going up in smoke, and with them, 10,000 bushels of rice essential to the Confederate war effort. Harriet's one regret was the dress, which she tore to shreds helping a young mother with a small child to feed carry two pigs back to the gunboats. I made up my mind then I would never wear a long dress on another expedition of the kind. They laughingly named the pigs Beauregard and Jeff Davis after the Confederate general and president against whom Tubman's leadership had just struck such a powerful blow. From the moment of her birth in the early 1820s, Harriet was considered property in the slaveholding state of Maryland. Minty, as she was known as a child, learned a life-changing lesson when she witnessed her mother save her son Moses, Harriet's brother, from being sold down to Georgia by threatening to split open the head of any man who tried to take him. 
the Georgia slave owner decided that the boy just wasn't worth it and gave up. Such victories, though, were few and far between. Harriet's owner rented her out for profit, and once, when she was just six years old, the infant Harriet was supposed to keep quiet kept crying, no matter how hard she tried to soothe it. Harriet was beaten mercilessly for every sound the baby made. On another occasion, Harriet was whipped five separate times before breakfast because no one had shown this young child how to properly clean a plantation house, and the matron believed her mistakes were deliberate. Harriet carried the scars of that morning's torture on her body the rest of her life. As a teenager, Harriet received a near-fatal wound while standing protectively over another slave who had angered their overseer. The overseer hurled a two-pound weight at the man, but it missed and cracked Harriet's skull. She was denied medical attention for days. She lived, but for the rest of her life, she suffered intense headaches, seizures, and narcolepsy, which worsened with age. In 1844, Harriet married John Tubman, a free black man, and changed her name to Harriet Tubman. For years, Harriet had experienced frequent visions, which she attributed to God. In some, horsemen were coming, and she heard women and children scream as they were dragged off into even worse forms of slavery. In others, she saw a line, on the far side of which were green fields and flowers and ladies to welcome her, but she could never reach that line. Harriet found hope in Bible stories, especially that of Moses leading the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt. She now believed God was urging her to seek her freedom, but when she confided this to her husband, he called her a fool. Five years later, the dark visions seemed to come true when Harriet heard word that she was to be dragged off that night and forced into labor on a chain gang. That evening, as she walked the fields with the others, she made up her mind what she had to do. Determining that it was too risky to say goodbye outright, she lifted up her voice in a familiar spiritual. When that old chariot comes, I'm going to leave you. I'm bound for the promised land. The night was clear and Harriet began picking a careful path through the shadows recalling later that she had no plan other than to follow the North Star to freedom. She moved by night and hid by day. One day, nearly a month later, Harriet's cautious inquiries brought her the sudden realization she had crossed over into free Pennsylvania. When I found I had crossed that line, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. The sun came like gold through the trees. I felt like I was in heaven. But Harriet's hard-earned peace was not to last. She enjoyed pay for her labor for the first time in her life. But Harriet's elation and her newfound freedom turned to grief on behalf of her family, still in bondage. I was free, and they should be free. Terrible news reached her in Philadelphia. Her niece, a mother of two young children, was soon to be sold away from her family. Slaves in Maryland were usually sold into far worse conditions in the Deep South. But what could Harriet do? Recaptured slaves were often whipped to death as an example to others. It would be madness to let her feet cross that line back into the land of slavery. Before long, the rumor proved true. Harriet's niece was auctioned off to the highest bidder, a free black man. The white owner who had sold her turned his back for a moment for a bite to eat, and before anyone knew it, the successful bidder had disappeared with Harriet's niece and both her children without paying for any of them. No one at the auction suspected that the man was really her husband. The whole scheme was concocted by Harriet. The family crept up the Maryland coast in a log raft, arriving in Baltimore, where Harriet was waiting for them to lead them to safety along the Underground Railroad, which was a network of people and safe houses who led slaves to freedom in the North. Do you think Harriet stopped there? 
The venture only whetted her appetite for more. She returned to the South at least 18 more times, risking her life every time before the outbreak of civil war 11 years later, leading about 300 people to freedom. Harriet recalled hiding from dogs and armed men. Sometimes the hot pursuit passed within feet of her. On one occasion, she traveled on a rail car while inadvertently sitting under her own wanted sign. Unable to read, she overheard curious passersby examining the sign and discussing the price on her head. $12,000, or about $200,000 in today's money. These harrowing experiences caused some of the escaped slaves that she was guiding to lose heart and asked to go back. Harriet recorded later that she felt the need to pull her pistol on these fearful escapees and force them to go on. This prevented vital information about the Underground Railroad from falling into the hands of slave owners. At the end of her career, she could remark with pride that unlike most train conductors, not one of her passengers was ever lost. When Civil War broke out in 1861, Harriet volunteered as a nurse and laundress with the Union Army. It soon became clear though that few Americans, if any, knew more of infiltration and concealment tactics behind enemy lines than Harriet. As a result, she found herself at the head of a network of spies who scouted deep into Confederate territory and passed vital information to federal troops. During the Cumbie River Raid in June 1863, she became the first American woman to lead troops into battle. After the war, Harriet received little recognition or pay for all her efforts. In 1869, when a train conductor demanded she give up her seat, even after she showed him her ticket, Harriet had an arm broken as she tried to hold on to the seat she had paid for. An angry crowd gathered and threw her into the baggage car, causing further injuries. Despite her poverty, Harriet found ways to travel the country, spoke to large crowds on behalf of women's right to vote, and opened a care home for aging African Americans. The image of a 70-something-year-old Harriet literally biting a bullet as a surgeon sawed open her skull without anesthesia to relieve pain from her youthful head injury vividly encapsulates her life of grit, perseverance, and faith. As of the publication of this video in 2021, plans are underway to see Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill, a fitting tribute to a remarkable American hero. Thank you so much for watching. Please hit the like and subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified when I post new videos, and let me know in the comments below what other heroic women from history you would like to hear about. Remember, you can do hard things. Be strong, be fierce. Stand up. God wants you to take the extreme mysticism out of guidance. Assume a green light on stuff. He's able to tell you no. He's able to turn it red if you need to. Watch those desires, those godly desires carefully and get after them. And when there's something in the way, get it behind you so you can hear clearly what God's saying and be strong and be fierce. We don't have to all be a William Carey or a Harriet Tubman, but on our own personal journey, we will have huge, huge influence if we are intentional and if we are unstoppably stubborn in our insistence 
on getting after what God wants for us. Put your hands on your heart for a moment. If you're not started with Jesus, this is your day. In your own way, just say yes to him. In your own prayer, just say yes to him. He's talking to you if you're not born again yet. Just tell him to forgive you. Ask him to forgive you and come into your heart. And then tell somebody before you leave the building today what you did. They will help disciple you into ever-increasing levels of joy in Jesus. We'll have a prayer team at the front to believe God with you for any miracles you need in your body, body, soul, or spirit, holistic medicine from Jesus. Come on up and let us pray with you. We have not because we ask not. Let's, let's be among those that ask. And many of you will want to stay after and fellowship and have a pulled pork sandwich. So I encourage you to do that. Jesus, we bless these words to our hearts today. We bless these words about guidance and we praise you for more secrets to good guidance to come in the next few weeks. We praise you and we love you. And we thank you. And everybody said, amen. We love you. God loves you. Have a great rest of your day.